neither is show business. Charles F. Burns. Chapter 1 One of the downside risks of producing your own suicide is that you probably won't get the opportunity to reshoot. It's pretty much a one-take business, barring, of course, a complete disaster, in which case you won't be in any frame of mind to consider the results with any objectivity. You may not, in fact, be in any frame of mind at all. You may be reduced to hanging in there out of pure reflex, your organism metabolizing in spite of your express wishes to the contrary. This ugly thought occurred to Charlie Burns as he fed a rubber hose through a specially drilled hole in the doggy door that led out to the patio of his 5,400-square-foot house in the Beverly Hills Flats. If push came to shove, he'd rather go through the indignities of his present situation than wind up in Vegetableville. Charlie shuddered at the prospect and resolved to be very careful. The 560 SEL was parked as close to the house as he could manage, its rear wheels trampling the flower beds that his vindictive gardener had denuded months ago. Jose Garcia y Garcia and his brother-in-law, Pepe, had backed up a truck in broad daylight and gone around the yard uprooting and reclaiming unpaid-for plants. As a parting gesture, his gardener had chainsawed a lemon tree with such precision that it fell squarely into the pool where it still lay, its dying limbs drooping in the air. Mr. Kim, the pool man, had at first merely cleaned around the tree, fishing out the soggy, overripe lemons and stacking them like cannonballs on the edge of the patio. Then when Charlie failed to remit in the little envelope stuffed under the door every month, he too stopped coming. His parting gesture had been a paroxysm of expletives in Korean, accompanied by spitting and stamping his feet on the deck. That morning, Charlie had gone to Thrifty on Cannon and bought 75 feet of hose, some putty to fill in the air pockets around the hole in the doggy door, masking tape to seal off any windows that were not airtight, a microwave cherry cheesecake, and a half gallon of Gallo Hardy Burgundy. In the house, a CD of Eine Kleine Nachtmusik blared from the player. It had been a choice between Mozart and Mitch Miller, with Mozart winning out in the end because of the class factor. Charlie wanted to go out in a classy manner. At this stage of the game, gestures were important. After leaving Thrifty, he had dropped two envelopes in the mailbox, one to Daily Variety and the other to the Hollywood Reporter, containing up-to-date resumes of his credits. Often, in the deadline pressure, they mixed up credits or omitted the most significant ones from the obit, and there wasn't much you could do about asking for a correction. As he ran the hose along the Spanish tile patio, he heard the whine of the vacuum machine sucking up leaves down the street and counterpoint to the low-key hum of pool motors, sounds of a Beverly Hills morning, empty houses being tended. For months since Charlie had been evicted from his office at the Burbank Studios, he had been home on this street all day long, and he was familiar with the quiet and the sounds that punctuated it, the pizzicato of lawn mowers, the drone of air conditioners, the whoomp of tennis balls, the whoosh of German-made disc brakes, the demented chirping of overfed birds. He looked down at his Rolex and saw that it was almost eleven. It was Sunday. No mail. No last-minute reprieve from the governor. His mailbox was filled daily with a collection of letters from lawyers all over Southern California, containing threats of varying degrees of explicitness. Before he stopped returning Charlie's calls, his own lawyer, George Melvin, had recommended Chapter 11. After, of course, Charlie took care of his legal fees. You can't expect me to handle bankruptcy papers for you on a contingency basis, Charlie, can you? They were in George Melvin's Century City office with a view clear to Mulholland and back. 
The lawyer was sitting beside his beveled glass conference table cracking pistachio nuts. Nobody in town had desks anymore. Desks were out ever since Los Angeles Magazine ran a feature on the new type of interactive executive. Well, who else is going to do it? I can't do contingency work. It's against the bylaws of the firm. George, isn't everything in this town on contingency, one way or another? Well, whether George Melvin liked it or not, as executor of his will, he would soon be presiding over the distribution of Charlie's assets, such as they were. It would be a feeding frenzy, with meager pickings. Charlie carefully slit the end of the hose with an X-Acto knife and fitted over the exhaust pipe of the Mercedes. Then he took a large piece of heavy-duty electric tape and bound it around the tailpipe tightly to prevent leaking. When he was finished, he tugged gently on the hose and was pleased when it didn't slip off. He'd considered various ways of pulling the plug.